Hello and welcome to Months of Sundays, the show bringing you political commentary on entertainment media from the perpetual Sunday of Suburban on We. I'm Livy. I'm Ruben. And this week we've got a little bit of special episode. We're not just going to be focusing on one film, but we're going to be focusing on a kind of cultural trend or a cinematic trend as well. Uh, this week we're talking about um, nostalgic TV and film. Uh, and and to, to clarify that, that's nostalgic TV and film that is being made in the current era, that is being made uh-huh. from our time. And specifically, we're going to talk a lot about anachronism. Now, I'm sure as all you guys know, um, there's been this kind of big trend in film and particularly TV recently to have these very kind of anachronistic productions basically because it sells well so what is it what do you mean by an anachronistic so what i mean by anachronism is i mean uh, a production that chucks in a whole load of cultural elements into one melting pot kind of through but but temporal cultural elements you know things from different decades different years all uh, in the same thing all in the same tv show and it does this to produce this kind of charming, uneven aesthetic, which is kind of vaguely nostalgic without being problematically pinned in any political era. Yeah. So it's both so it's accessible just- for the person it's both accessible for the person who lived through those eras and particularly accessible for the kind of decontextualized um well, not the decontextualized, but the uh, the sort of teenager or young adult. Uh, who is watching a lot of these are kind of often Netflix productions for whom these kind of previous historical trends are decontextualized already, um, but might might be kind of appealing on a sort of aesthetic level. uh, And then they're all kind of chucked in together in this kind of big... So what are the main examples of this, do you think? So, I mean... There are loads, I can already think of lots. There's absolutely tons. One of the key ones, obviously, that people talk about tons and tons is sex education. Sex education has been very popular... You um, are going to be talking about this more than me because you are much better at having kept up with the bad Netflix TV <laughs> programs of the current I think that's day. a little bit of a backhanded <laughs> compliment there from Ruben. I actually don't think I have watched many Netflix TV shows recently. To my um, uh, sadness, in a way, I haven't had enough time. But uh, yeah, no, like... Um, uh, yeah, so it, 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 that that is definitely a backhanded comment, but I always <laughs> sail past it. That's okay. Um, yeah, so sex education, I couldn't get past like the first couple of episodes. I found the like the clash between the American and British um, high school thing to create this kind of nostalgic memory based production just kind of really disorientating so it's and set sickening in Wales, because but it's in an American high school, it's set right? In Wales, but in an American high school, exactly. And um, kind of like the, the the makers of it said, you know, oh, this is because we want it to, we want it to feel sort of universal and to hark back to all of those really great um, th- th- those great, you know, like Brat Pack eighties movies and stuff that we all remember loving and all like of that kind Breakfast of thing. Club and but stuff like, like that. Breakfast Club, exactly. Um, but in fact, it was so obviously done just to appeal to an American market yeah. that it's almost not really worth talking about. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. that said, so that's my very, very, very harsh review of the first couple <laughs> of episodes of Sex Education. Many people love Sex Education, and I was talking to somebody recently who said that this was actually done in a much more subtle way as the TV show progresses and that 
Um, yeah, I have heard people say that, to be fair. Yeah, and like the the, the, the the anachronism does kind of serve the plot at certain points. Like, you know, people with certain attitudes that are kind of backwards are kind, mm. of, be, are kind of presented as being frozen in a certain era and all of that kind of thing. So I can see how you could do interesting things with it, but it's kind of more this... And, and so sex education is one thing, but it's more this phenomenon as a kind of... as a general trend Which that I'm interested there is in. There loads of examples Because of. there's so many of these TV shows. And as I say, I mentioned... Yeah, so I mentioned Netflix because the way that Netflix makes TV shows as we know is kind of very like algorithmic they'll be, they'll take algorithmic right it is literally algorithmic they'll take um their sort of uh you know watcher bases viewer bases mm-hmm. um and they'll create a TV show for a very niche market you yeah know? so the most famous example of that is the House of Cards remake with Kevin Spacey was made because they realized people who watched lots of David Fincher films also watched the original British House of Cards from the 70s. Yeah. And so they hired David Fincher to remake House of Cards. Yeah. But actually Which it gets much eerie. more cynical than that. Actually, it, gets, it? it gets much more like barefaced than that. I mean, tons of people love House of Cards and it, I think it's quite like you know, I'm not saying that these levels can't <laughs> these these shows can't be high level, but you know they that they have a have got a tendency to be a little bit um, pandering yeah, to their well, audiences because they're literally content, meant yeah they're, they're they're meant to pander to their audiences. That's what they're mm-hmm. designed yeah. to do. They're designed to make money. Um, and so like uh, yeah, I was going to read off a couple of other examples of this. Um, Sabrina, the uh, Sabrina, not Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. That's the original TV show. The The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is, which is on Netflix. Remake, isn't it? Live action remake. It's kind of its aesthetic, which is kind of very like chopping and changing between the sixties and the present day. Kind of makes sense because the cartoon is from the sixties. So I'd give that a little bit more leeway, but kind of in this, it's, it's within it's this trend. That chosen to, to remake to, that, yeah, and rather than just to remake it in the sixties yeah. in a cool sixties aesthetic, to re- remake it in the present day with a 60s aesthetic yeah. is what they've specifically Similarly chosen to do to so it's like we don't have to deal with anything that might be challenging about the 60s that might be different from our own time we only have to kind aesthetics. of like get the, the get the nice kind of stripped yeah. down aesthetic the of same it as riverdale which i don't know if you see oh yeah of course i think riverdale's a really famous example of yeah, that isn't yeah. it yeah i don't know if riverdale is made by netflix because it's not. very like it aesthetically actually. inspired by things like twin peaks exactly, isn't it yeah. but it's kind of very um yeah like stranger things as well. I, I, yeah stranger things is set in the 80s doesn't riverdale predate Stranger Things. I could be wrong Ooh, about. I think they're about the same time. About the same. Yeah. They're a similar thing. So, so Stranger Things is also nostalgic, but it's at least like Riverdale is based on set the in old a specific Archie time, comics, which are from the sixties. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get you. Yeah. So it is, but it's doing a similar thing then because it starts blending a sort of yeah. the sixties base with a kind of contemporary setting, yeah. and then like a, maybe an eighties or nineties aesthetic. It's yeah, kind of it's all yeah. those things. So, it, so yeah. this is what these productions tend to be like. They tend to be. Uh, I was just going to name a couple more, like um, Umbrella Academy me does this um you know it's got they've got modern technology but this kind of mishmash aesthetic um i am not okay with this does that specific same thing that um sex education does where it's like a mishmash of um sort of like kind of pastiche to various film references within Um. an apparently contemporary setting when it's to do with kind of film and the traditions of film you can kind of forgive it a tiny little bit more because at least it's kind of about leaning into its sort of roots or, or exploring a specific genre yeah, i have more I mean, quentin tarantino has made a whole career off doing that right 
to great success. I <laughs> yeah, <think. laughs> and many other filmmakers. You know, you, you know, you could name. But what I'm saying is, he yeah. he is particularly based on pastiche of films and sort of yeah. harking back to times through pastiche of films. But he usually does set his, lots of his modern films are sort of alternate histories, aren't they? And set in the time. Oh yeah, and about the time. I re- actually really like lots of the modern Tarantino's, like once yeah. a time in Hollywood. But oh, did you like those. that? So yeah, many I people hated really, that. Really I haven't seen it, but I yeah. think you would probably quite like. It, so. <laughs> yeah, I think the most recent one. We anyway, I, I won't get into Quentin Tarantino now. Yeah. He does not belong here. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. So so this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. And I mean, I think what we're basically saying is that there's something quite cynical about the way that these are made because there's nothing wrong with kind of being interested in the sort of history. Um, of a certain sort of look in cinema uh-huh. and playing homage to your kind of favorites of cinema or whatever in this almost slightly kind of meta way where it's like we're sort of beyond that time so we can kind of throw all this stuff mm-hmm. in together but i think that's the problem it's suggesting that we ourselves in the in the in the modern day have so little kind of aesthetic or movement of our own have so little kind of collective identity or anything that might solidify the era that we're not capable of producing our own productions our own kind of cultural productions anymore we just have to kind of endlessly recapitulate what has been before and that is because our, our our kind of all our mainstream um creative outlets are being driven by the market i mean netflix is the big example of yeah. this obviously if you've got a, something that's monopolizing the market uh monopolizing it successfully like netflix is almost not quite but you yeah. know it, there, there there is a big market monopoly mm-hmm. that, that that netflix is kind of increasingly yeah along with other expanding into along with other similar people, streaming services by far the biggest one, I think. and it's kind of the most successful as well and in the, the way that it makes successful i think the most well. internationally successful and the most cunning and sort yeah. of about about a very 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 cleverly marketed you can't say otherwise yeah. than that it's the thing i always remember is in that awful black mirror episode that was alternate like the multiple choice and then one of the multiple choices was to like watch netflix in yeah. the multiple choice or something. and everyone was like Band oh my snatch. god it was so clever I know, it's, that <laughs> just, so just like it's so bad so yeah it was, it was like for those of you who haven't seen bandersnatch i'm sure most of you have I'm, i heard a lot um, of people saying that was dumb as well it was fair. so dumb it was so dumb it was a new yeah. level but anyway so that's yeah that that's a that's Netflix uh, giving you a kind of cheeky little nod and yeah. a wink that you don't want. I imagine if you watch like a Spanish Netflix production or an Indian Netflix production, it'll probably have similar aspects to it as well. It's a sort of one thing. It's an international thing, I imagine. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen any of them. They uh, all yeah, but, but again, they'll be tailored to their kind of specific yeah, market exactly. as well. Um, which is, yeah. So, so, but that's how, that's how obviously a streaming service like that has built up such a lot of success. But kind of what what we're saying about it is that it's a little bit worrying, not only as a cultural symptom, as a kind of lack of ability to generate the new in our own era, but also as something that is going to kind of like further enforce that state of kind of timelessness yeah. and confusion and disorientation. And I think it might be treating a desire for nostalgia, which of course yeah. nostalgia appears in any age, but particularly at the moment when our world is feeling um, I mean, people often cite 2016 as a kind of, uh, uh, although, of course, we had the awful financial crash in 2008, 2016 seemed to be the moment where our kind of um, political uh, world caught up with our financial and like eco- with, with the economic yeah. world. Um, uh, and, and, and is really politics began a to reign. Of 2008, right? Yeah. It, well, yeah. yeah it, I mean, it is complicated, isn't it? it? You can't say it so kind of categorically yeah, but- as that because otherwise although the economy and the political sphere are, are linked 
things and, and you know i would argue that the ultimate base of the political sphere is the economy mm-hmm. there are lots of sort of steps in between that, that that complicate things and that is i mean we do get a, a significant time lag between 2008 and 2016 yeah, course, yeah. um so and it, it, we could discuss why that might be uh, after having done a little bit more reading <laughs> <laughs> on another episode but i mean but anyway to that if, to, if we think of 2016 um as a time when people are feeling kind of panicked when kind of often sort of comfortable liberals are feeling panicked specifically yeah. and it's comfortable liberals that make most of the media we do watch i would say it's comfortable liberals that make most of the media that we watch and it's also comfortable media comfortable liberals who watch lots of things like kind of i mean not exclusively obviously but who watch things like kind of quote unquote clever netflix shows like clever quippy netflix shows in the tradition of stuff we love like buffy but like kind of more irritating basically like it's also i would say comfortable liberals come back to that phrase (laughs) that are the critics and so gatekeep what we watch as well Uh, yeah exactly so it's a it's a vicious circle (laughs) that's what we're saying they're gatekeeping our media yeah ah fake news oh my god uh anyway so yeah so kind of so we're thinking about um we're thinking about that cultural symptom and we're thinking about um this cultural symptom as as a sort of bandage bandage for uh nostalgia um that, that that it sort of soothes our nostalgic urges yeah. by so giving us this kind of right? easy watching it's 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 yeah it's a it's depoliticizing it's exactly depoliticizing. It's, it's not apolitical in fact it's a very political statement it, to be it, yeah unflinchingly nostalgic yeah yeah exactly no i, I yeah, yeah exactly to be to be so kind of consistently nostalgic definitely yeah. um and but also kind of maybe possibly more worryingly it encourages so that's the kind of cause cause of this phenomenon but then maybe more worryingly it encourages this kind of disorientated spirit which sort of teenagers and young adults of our generation might already be experiencing mm-hmm. it, uh, you know i mean so what do you think about kind of the internet in how do, how, how do you think the internet plays yeah, a role in that well i guess the internet already sort of flattens out culture and history the history of culture doesn't it so everything is it's a pick and accessible. choose click and whatever exactly. yeah i mean the interface of something like netflix or spotify really really just hammers hammers home what what this means it's like the flattening out of history to so that everything is ahistorical makes everything sort of untargeted nostalgia anyway even the things that aren't nostalgic they just come from the time they were from right yeah because so. you can because you can watch um something like the breakfast club back and back back to back with something like sex education because mm-hmm. it's all very available to you on netflix yeah, it's so all no... presented in these kind of equal little windows that don't discriminate uh vis- visibly to us mm-hmm. um but also don't historicize and don't explain and what's more kind of it, it it leads to this leads to a sort of tendency for um people of our age i think to kind of not think necessarily very critically about the past because we have this kind of saccharine watered down version of the past presented yeah. to us in our culture so for example something that uh you know uh, the, these as 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 we say because um uh these cultural productions are both made by and targeted at liberals i think predominantly these kind of like slightly clever clever netflix shows yeah and by liber- liberals just with- to clarify i don't just mean people i don't mean uh people with progressive politics in the broadest sense at all 
uh, I don't mean people with left-wing politics. I mean people with kind of socially progressive and fiscally conservative politics. You know, yeah. people who have neoliberal a neoliberal attitude to the 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 economy. People who want a laissez-faire economy, um, and people who want progressive social politics. Yeah. So people who want broadly in the cultural sphere, people who want not to think about the economy and who who want to pretend that everything can kind of be sorted yeah. out by a little bit of diversity, a kind of sprinkling mm-hmm. on the top of a. The people pile who of shit. are saying in response to the whole of the West Coast of America being on fire that the answer is to vote for the Democrats in the election. Yeah, those people, <laughs> those guys, those guys there. Um, so because this is the target audience and this is also who um, these productions are being made by, uh, we have lots of kind of identity politics based stuff. And of course, seeing storylines, seeing things like queer representation in media is really important for queer teenagers. And it's the same thing with, um, I'm, I'm saying, I'm using the phrase teenagers and young adults a lot because I think that that's the target of a lot of these kind of like teenager yeah. Netflix TV shows. Um, and and, and ex- exactly the same with um, BME representation. You know, it's like, it, it would be completely dreadful if we went in the other direction in any way at all. Uh, but what I'm saying is, there'll be these kind of um, seemingly progressive storylines going on, often about identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Specifically, there'll be lots of kind of like queer and coming out storylines in a lot of these um, uh, TV shows because they know that's pleasing the target audience. But they'll be weirdly decontextualized because these coming out stories take place, all these kind of like stories that focus on queer issues, for example, take place in this kind of a historical never never land yeah where like homophobia exists but it's like it's not 1980s homophobia or it's not 2020s homophobia so it's kind of just and and the weird thing about so that is sort of useless right it's basically useless because not only doesn't it it doesn't teach anybody anything about their own times or anything about the past and it weirdly kind of makes it as if it's just a kind of natural universal thing that people would yeah. be, for example, homophobic or transphobic. So like, sort of it just puts that into the it just puts that out there into the ether as if it's a kind of natural state of the universe so that people of, have to yeah. com- combat. It's sort of fetishistic towards those identity categories that are sort of alienated from any actual historical understanding or material understanding of, of any. Yeah, of, it's know. kind of saying you will always be alienated and this is always your yeah. story, and that's and always that, going that's to look empowering. exactly the same in any time or place. Like yeah. <laughs> which is not the that's yeah. not the case it's, the same it's a lie that the, the, that's um, something that like the internet feeds to us a lot in a kind of subtle way especially and it's yeah, why um, the sort of atomization of, of the internet means that we only see spaces that we understand and so like say a space for a certain underrepresented group or whatever would be reinforcing that maybe rather reinforcing than that idea that things don't change and things are always hard for this exactly, particular group yeah. and it's not that things aren't hard it's just that tw- as we say 2020s homophobia looks very different to 1980s yeah. and like you know a Midwestern homophobia looks very different from a Welsh homophobia to go to sex education for a moment. Like, I think it's just such a weird thing to take those issues out of context because it completely kind of blunts all the impetus of talking about them. Yeah. It means that identity is the only thing that matters rather than any anything material. What rather than anything material or anything collective, like like yeah. the, the identity that you might and gain from being part yes. of a group in a certain time or place. Because mm-hmm. if you think about that, that's kind of all of our um one of our kind of prevailing identities is where we come from and, and who we live with and, and how we organize our lives. Like that mm-hmm. is the kind of the essential yeah. question. And you, you don't get anywhere talking about kind of these little atomized identities without thinking about those bigger structural issues. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I do think it's a real problem, but what we were kind of hoping to do 
uh, in this episode is a little bit of a silly twist around now where we think about... <laughs> much like the film we're going to be talking about. <laughs> much about the f- like the film we're about to be talking about, where we think about how some of these issues might come to bear on a film like uh, the recently released Tenant by yeah. Christopher Nolan. So Tenet. Tenet is about... Oh, God. Can you explain what Tenet was about? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's about a guy who has to go it's very christopher nolan and that it's about sort of time and it's about this sort of twisty turny sci-fi narrative where a guy basically has to save the world by going back in time but not going back in time in the sort of standard way but sort of literally going, going literally back backwards to a reverse in time. time so he yeah. travels in reverse we're gonna spoil this film as, as, as best no, we I can think people, i think way. people know that i think yeah. people know that plot element yeah, yeah. but we are, gonna but spoil we are the film, also gonna spoil the film <laughs> but what we thought was interesting about uh tenant is tenant is that the kind of existential threat laced through it is this idea of the destruction of time, that um, the villain is going to obliterate all that ever has been and send us in kind of spiralling reverse back to the beginning of the universe, mm-hmm. to this yeah. kind of natal, uh, like, pre-dawn of time darkness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is kind of like a kind of almost, you could almost see it as a kind of like a Freudian fantasy, couldn't it? Like yeah. regression to the womb, the blackness <laughs> of nothing, all yeah, of that. Definitely, actually. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's very, it's very odd, but like this kind of, this fantasy, this desire that the villain has, which he has because he's dying, like it doesn't yeah. really make much sense. He just wants to kill everybody else and like send it all back to, but it's all specifically yeah. about reversing time. And it's very similar actually thinking about it to the motive of Bane in Nolan's other film, The Dark Knight Rises, oh. where he is, you know, he's sort of set up as this vaguely even sympathetic villain type character where his wanting to destruct all of humanity is based on a sort of vague thing about climate change. Oh, right. Yeah, and but, it's a, you know, it's the humans of the virus in the words of The Matrix uh, oh and, God. you know, they need yeah. to be eradicated. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, um... Yeah, God, Bane. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a similar thing, exactly. So it's a spiralling back. But but it, what's interesting about this desire to destroy time, to destroy history, to undo all time that has ever been, is that the film itself kind of absolutely does it in its aesthetic in the same way that we've been talking about with these kind of slightly more, slightly more kind of cheaply glossy and obvious Netflix production, but that productions, but there's a kind of similar tendency in Tenant. And I quite enjoyed Tenant. Yeah. Silly film Tenant. Silly film I, as I it actually absolutely really loved is. Tenet as a very silly film. It was <laughs> extremely, I thought it extremely was enjoyable. enjoyable yeah. and, I, and it looked really cool as well. But one of the reasons that it looked really cool was that so me and Ruben actually saw this um in the cinema with some of Ruben's friends and we saw it on uh, original film yeah, which was really cool millimeter, uh, yeah. kind of added to this sort of nostalgic experience that we're talking about because the film itself has this kind of very 1970s aesthetic i mean it all looks gorgeous it looks immaculate yeah. and all these kind of sepia tones and stuff but the thing is it's this kind of baseless nostalgia because it, yeah. we're, we're actually I would set say in the, the first present. half of tenet is very based on nostalgia for sort of 70s and 80s james bond films in particular yeah and, and stuff about the cold war as and well because war, what those james bond films are like yeah but also stuff like point blank and things yeah, like that the spy who came in from the cold adaptations of john le carre yeah. like yeah spy things from the 70s and 60s and 80s absolutely and, 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 and it mainly, kind of actually. takes that it takes that concern with the cold war and those politics yeah. in its central plot as well where like a russian is the baddie yeah be, if you can be call he, it central plot a plot yeah or <laughs> <laughs> be he a capitalist russia russia and he is like the baddie who's come out of the remains of the soviet union he's yeah. kind of risen like a phoenix from the ashes of the soviet union 
but he wants to reverse time and kind of go back to this ashy state to this state of nothing so all very interesting because we're kind of almost nostalgic in this film in 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 this film's aesthetic and its kind of central concerns we're almost nostalgic for the cold war itself for a kind of previous period of obliteration like nuclear obliteration another thing that i thought was actually particularly interesting about tenor and actually maybe dare i say quite clever was (laughs) that the final battle all takes it takes place in the sort of bombed out husks of a vietnam village that has been bombed out by in the war and then still exists as a sort of bombed out ruins of time that hasn't been resurrected because of sort of american american imperial policies and all those sorts of things yeah and so it's this russian trying to reclaim reclaim the world for nothing because of the horrors of the the cold war and the sort of proxy wars of the cold war yeah. and those things yeah I, it is interesting i think yeah i think you one thing you tenant hat tenant has like maybe the worst script that i've seen yeah, on a film for a really long time because of the sound mixing in the film. <laughs> yeah but like the script is really <laughs> silly is really but i think that it is quite thematically clever about time yeah, that is what i will yeah. say for tenet Absolutely. i think tenet maybe knew it was quite silly although my friends shouted at me when i said that when we left the cinema. <laughs> i think it, i think it was playing into it. i think it was trying I to make a fun yeah, film yeah. the it problem sort of with films it was like that stupidly cliched and stuff the, the problem only with prob- films of that is that people do say then say they are meant like, to be really they are just based like you know obviously clever without any yeah the problem with films like that is that people who don't really watch other films think they're like the cleverest films yeah. ever whereas like. that film was clever because it knew it was stupid i think but yeah we'll maybe leave that for another debate we may be giving it too much credit (laughs) but yeah um yeah i enjoyed it although i didn't agree with a lot of it um particularly its characterization of its female character which was just ridiculous but that was so ridiculous that it must have been on anyway no it would that that bit was definitely not on purpose anyway (laughs) anyway cannot write women as we know well from watching any other christopher nolan film yeah i mean but to get back to yeah that was that was my particular gripe (laughs) with tenet but to get back to our kind of central issue we're discussing on this podcast this idea of the destruction of time that is presented as if it's kind of so it's the 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 weird thing about this is this desire to obliterate time it's presented in this film with this quite right-wing director it's presented as um a threat like it's presented as the existential threat of the film Mm -hmm. but it's also presented i guess as a kind of rational thing that one man might want to do that and therefore that and because the film is performing this kind of disorientating blur this destruction of time in its aesthetic at the same time this kind of whole idea of 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 obliteration and and of a kind of mixing together and a rubbing out and a, and a leveling of everything you know in a destructive motion as we talked mm-hmm. about the leveling of everything on these digital pra- platforms on the internet is presented as alluring it is presented yeah. as seductive yeah and actually it's the the reason for destro- one of the most stupidest stupid lines in the film in fact is the reason for destroying it the reason for not destroying the world is brought back to a personal basis in quite a stupid way when yeah. do you remember the exact line i do right so basically um this is what i mean about the the woman being very badly characterized in this film <laughs> because her only like motive or interest is to do with her child because yeah, obviously that's like the, the woman in that's the only role that a woman can have yeah, yeah. exactly just like the world is, uh, apparently <laughs> in christopher Nolan's universe so um they're like you know somebody's somebody's talking about what this guy wants to do and he wants to obliterate every, everything the villain played by uh, kenneth Branagh. yeah uh and, and 
and they're like he's going he's going to take us back to the beginning of time he's going to kill everybody and she's like including my son (laughs) (laughs) it's like yeah everybody every the whole world is going to die like obviously you would care if your son was going to die but i think it would be really decontextualized and made very different if literally everybody was going to die like it's just that is such a stupid line i i I refuse to believe it wasn't a knowingly stupid i I don't think so i don't think so i think it i think it just it gone too far at that stage the whole similar two quite so. quite lively laughed i think i'd say that line i don't like that might have just been us i'm not sure just our group yeah i'm not sure it was yeah it was it was very funny but anyway so this kind of sed- the, the seduction of the ahistorical the destu- seduction of the destruction of history um and this was weirdly similar to another film that we've seen recently uh, and that's a children's film, The House with the Clock on Its Walls. A family film, I'd say, right? A, fa- a family film. <laughs> Ruben's loath to admit that we watched a children's film together. Um, no, uh, I, yeah, I really... So this is a very, very, very different film and uh, a little bit like we've done on our previous podcast, putting slightly provocatively similar, provocatively different, rather, films together mm-hmm. is what we are again it doing. it basically the same plot. But actually it has basically so the same plot. The House with the Clock on Its Walls stars... A young boy, some some child actor, along with Jack Black and Kate Blanchett, who play his uncle and his uncle's friend, who live in a sort of haunted house. And they're all magicians. And they're all magicians. They can I do magic. I think it's really fun. One I of my favourite things kid, about the I house. Loved that film. Exactly, and I quite enjoyed it. Now, to be honest, one it of my favourite things sort about of it. Nanny McPhee or something. I'd it say. did have Nanny. McPhee. It was magical in the same way. Yeah. And she, the Kate Blanchett figure, was actually a bit of a Nanny McPhee figure, actually, because she yeah. went around with her stick all the time doing yeah doing magic the most fun thing about this film is definitely jack black and kate blanchett's relationship which is quite fun and sort of they have good chemistry yeah together, the actors. i thought it was really sweet and one of my favorite things about it was that it was a children's film that wasn't a remake to bring us back yeah. to this issue of Although endless cultural adaptation recapitulation of a book, I think. yeah but, but an adaptation but what i'm yeah. saying is it was a, it was something new coming into so, the cultural sphere like mm-hmm. it was not i mean and i'm not saying that this was a groundbreakingly original film i just thought it was a it was a like a, a children's film that actually tried Tried, yeah, you know, it was, it like was a sort nice of actually film. a bit scary, I thought as well. And it's interesting. Yeah, it was really scary. scary <laughs> it was really it is directed by Eli Roth, who is famous for making Hostel and the Hostel sequels, and then like quite films naff like horror films, knock, basically. Knock and um, the Green Inferno films that we would call exploitation slasher films i think yeah. so f- basically films that were inspired by saw and final destination coming out is what yeah. he's known for i'd say but in which case this quite sweet uh children's film quite sweet inventive children's yeah, film so I think it's a bit it's of a surprise the first time that he made not a horror film yeah and i really enjoyed it, it, yeah. had, it so did it's a have big budget elements. studio film but anyway what we we're going to get back to is the fact that similarly to tenet the sort of existential threat in the house of the clock on its walls is the destruction of time, time being mm-hmm. brought back to the beginning of the universe, time being sent back to its origins, to this sort of dark period. And there's a point at which the um, hero, the child, who's a bit of a misfit and has lost his parents and struggled throughout his life and all this kind of thing, is being tempted by the villains and they're saying, come with us, it'll just be us and all the rest of time will be destroyed yeah. and we're going to go back to the beginning of, beginning of the universe. So again, it's kind of like uh, time is, the destruction of time is being presented as a seductive com- as a seductive concept yes. um but uh, this the seduction is resisted it's um uh it's destroyed as it is in tenet despite it being this kind of uh 
this weird pull in the film. Yeah. But what I liked about The House with the Clock on Its Walls is that it was historically situated and specific. It didn't create this kind of anachronistic blur. It had a 1950s setting and its plot was kind of based very heavily around the aftermath of the Second World War. Yeah, so and I guess you right? could also read into that similarly to Tenet at the beginning of the Cold War as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. So you've got this you've got this atmosphere of danger in the in, in, in the world outside and of a of a, a turbulent, tumultuous past that could cause issue for people, but that kind of has to be basically confronted in the end. And one of the ways that the film does confront that is not by kind of setting the film nominally in the, the 1950s and then actually in this anachronistic no time, but by actually firmly setting the film in yeah, the 1950s definitely. and dealing with the issues of the 1950s specifically. It's not talking down to children in the same way that we're talking down to like basically many of our teenagers and young adults the way that Netflix yeah. productions do. Um, it's kind of saying like, yeah, you're old enough or big enough or maybe just human enough to kind of understand certain times are different to other times yes for all this sort of seduction of uh, of the anachronistic for all this seduction of the destruction of time yes definitely and it was a good film for that i think it was a good film for that it was yeah. a good film for that I, I really agree with you so kind of yeah i mean i think against all of these kind of yeah these sort of uh, bland weird saccharine uh mashup productions that we've been talking about I think the distinctive and the historical and the kind of funny but simultaneously seriously grounded production, be it fantasy or realism or whatever, kind of is rewarded by a sort of sense of, of trust and like kind yeah. of admiration and in its trust viewers. In teaching its viewers, particularly its young viewers, about the past and what the past can tell us about the future rather than something ahistorical. And something sort of aesthetic for aesthetic's sake, therefore. Yeah, exactly. Against, say, you know, uh, what a lot of big cinema is doing from kind of this sort of classy end of the mainstream, this kind of sepia-toned thing that Tenet is doing to, like, a big Marvel film, for example, Ruben. Oh, yes. I mean, the Marvel films are a really, really, really big example of doing this very, very often. We have things like... Thor Ragnarok, which actually is a better Marvel film than some of the others, but still not that good. And it's sort of, it's playing on sort of horrible eighties nostalgia of like things like Flash Gordon and stuff, but sort mm. of dumbed down. Even if you can dumb down things like Flash Gordon into this into pure <laughs> into pure aesthetics, or there's things like Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which like Tenet actually is very much based off the spy thrillers of the of the seventies and sixties, and is. Yeah, and people were sort of praised for having vague genre conventions in it that weren't of superhero films, but actually it's just really rubbish because it's like, you know, vague pretensions towards a political comment without actually any any political, rigorous political commentary. Yeah. And this sort of untargeted Cold War paranoia is reflected in the liberal news cycles of our day in which... As in not just our media cycles, but our actual news cycles. Yeah, exactly. In which we have sort of the same untargeted paranoia about Russia in a sort of... And by the way, we're not Russia files here. We're not saying Russia (laughs) is great. We're saying it's weird how much the liberal media focuses on stigmatizing Russia uh when we've the obviously are clearly of of of, of the state and of the state itself in yeah ways. i.e trying to link trump to russia all the I. time trump's terribleness is not 
really. It might be very vaguely, but it's not really I mean, to do with his links to I'm Russia, sure... which are actually a sort of you know probably exist, but are fairly unfounded. But it doesn't and really. It doesn't really matter. I'm same links to Russia. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't really matter whether Trump has links to Russia or not because he's fucking awful. Anyway, yeah, exactly, like it, yeah. it, an association with Russia doesn't really prove anything beyond everything we already knew about him. Exactly, you know? yes. like, And the same thing happens. It's, it's, it's a quite an American thing, I think. This. I don't think the Russia thing is... Although it is played on in Britain. A little, a little bit. You see tweets and stuff where people are like, oh, I'm very keen to find out um, what the Russia report is going to say. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, But I think it is, the, as you it's, said, it's, playing it's on this insti- kind of retroactive Cold War yeah exactly it's to do with a fear of interference and a fear of invasion as well isn't it yeah so bernie sanders in america was sort of pinned down or tried to pin down at least for his links supposed links to russia because i think he visited there once in the 80s or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's and it's also kind of suggesting i think i think what this kind of desire for that kind of easy simple culprit suggests is also Mm. again a fear of our own times a fear of the kind of complex and new and difficult issues of our own times we want to kind of go back to to what at the time seemed like this very very scary threat of total obliteration and now in 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 sort of um you know the rosy spectacles of history looking like this kind of simpler time when we knew who the real baddies were yeah and it's interesting isn't it because the 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 time as in the cold war is known for its sort of postmodern lack of lack of centers of control and those sorts of things and so for us to now look back at that time and see it as having an obvious villain mm. and instead now as being in in the time where there, there is no we're pitched into uncertainty exactly, and yeah it's a sort uh, of even heightened villains seem everywhere yeah. yeah it's even more uncertain than the time that was defined by its uncertainty so guys uh <laughs> if you're thinking of making a tv show why don't just commit to one fucking <laughs> historical period and like make it actually about that time? You can still say things about the present through it. Choose yes. maybe choose to set something in the present. <laughs> I mean, that would be good. I'd like yeah. to see something that actually tried to tackle the say, issues of today. Do you think? Can you think of an example off the top of your head that doesn't do this and is successful for it? That doesn't do this and is successful, but is in the sort of same genre, um, genre tone and things. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Can you think of an example? Mm. Um, I so I I recently watched. Um, I mean, I think lots of people did over the summer. Watch I May Destroy You. Oh yeah. Um, which has been very successful. That's um uh, an author um sort of based piece. As in, uh, I think she's called Michaela Cole. She like oh, yeah. wrote it, directed it, starred in it. She kind mm-hmm. of did everything. Yeah. Uh, so it was like very much her one vision. I think that... Uh, that about the it, current day. Yeah, it's about the current day. I mean, this is a British production, obviously, so it's a little bit different, but um, it kind of incorporated lots of sort of a- aspects of our digital landscape in a non, you know, trite way. It was quite imaginative with it, I felt. And I thought, and it was, so it was specifically about consent and the ramifications of consent. So it was going in on a specific issue, but it also took a very specific location and was like very unashamedly about the specificities of its characters i.e it wasn't like just a kind of a vague piece about sex and race it was like a piece about um people in gentrified north london originally from african communities not afro-caribbean communities um not that there would be anything wrong with that but i'm saying it was it was was taking a specific yeah a specific group of black people in britain and talking about kind of the issues that they yeah. face in our digital age and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of on our streets. And I felt yeah. that that was a, a similarly kind of classy and slick production. 
um like it felt kind of netflixy in its slickness you know it was it, it was nice transitions it was it was very addictive it was all put together um but it was it was very grounded and specific nice, yeah um the be- my favorite tv show of the last few years is very stereotypically twin peaks the return nice and yeah it is, and similarly it's something that's about america's inability to deal with its own cold war paranoia i'd say uh, okay and yeah famously episode eight the, the nuclear bomb episode and yeah. america's sort of original sin that they can't get past yeah and that the tw- I mean, and that twin peaks the return is in fact not a return it's a complete dismissal of everyone everything everyone liked about the original twin peaks and that's why and that's why it's so clever and it's yeah, progressive so it's and it's a, twi- it's a twin it's a twin it's anti-nostalgia and it's a twin peaks for its own era which exactly, is just really yes. great yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's what i'd put out there I yeah guess. <laughs> that's i think that's a really good point and on that note we'll leave you guys thanks for listening thank you i ain't got no home i'm just a roaming around just a wandering worker i go from town to town and the police make it hard wherever i may go and i ain't got no home in this world anymore